Okay, I think we're live. Welcome back to Musar for Sarshalom Women. I, if you were here last week, you know I had some computer problems. I think I have figured those out, and hopefully we won't have any problems today. Uh, I know we've got a lot of people out vacationing. Rabbi and his family are out, and we wish them well and safe travels. Some other people are going to school this summer, so watch when you can. And remember, it's always available on podcast. I also know that we've got a couple of uh, new people that I think joined this week, and we welcome them. So I just want to briefly tell the new folks what we've done over the last few months. <clears throat> we're starting. We're studying Musar, which is uh, building character traits, Jewish character traits. We started with a book called Everyday Holiness. We finished that, <clears throat> and now we've moved on. Well, let me. Sh- I think I've got it here. For new people, this is Everyday Holiness by Alan Marinus. Very, very good book. You'll come back to many, many times. Now we've moved on to a little bit heavier, literally heavier book called Sha'are Teshuvah. And we're working our way this summer through that book. So we welcome you if you're joining us for the first time. I encourage you to go back and look at our first eight, I think it's been eight sessions. We're on week nine today. We are about 30 days away from the 17th of Tammuz, which is the uh, 30 weeks or, or the three weeks of mourning. We are in the middle of this deep study of Teshuvah and specifically studying the laws which, if it violated, are sins that we need to repent of. Uh, Rabbi has started a study of Aka, which goes right along with our study. And uh, one of the books that I really enjoy uh, when I study Aka <clears throat> is this little book, little tiny book from Art Scroll. has great commentary. Um, and I just love these little books. They have one for each of the Megillot. And if you really want to do some study on Eka, as Rabbi teaches on it, this is a great little book too. So what is this three weeks all about? Um, Let's go back and look in history a little bit. Let's talk about why we have the three weeks of mourning, what it means. Deborah Mayhew, yay, I've got somebody watching at least. The first temple was constructed by King Solomon, Uh, Based on detailed plans that God had given to him, King David wanted to build it, but uh, Hashem wouldn't let him. And he said, your son will build it. So he built uh, in the fourth year of his reign, 833 BC, King Solomon was at peace and he built, oh, Patricia, yay. Uh, He uh, started the temple. For the next 410 years, the Jewish people would bring their daily offerings to the temple and gather three times a year at the temple, and they would go there to be seen by the face of God. Here, the divine presence was manifest. There were daily miracles in the temple. Um, But then uh, after Solomon's death, the tribes could not agree on who they wanted their leader to be. And Rehoboam uh, was the leader, and the ten northern tribes refused to accept him as their leader. So they divided into two kingdoms. We had uh, the ten northern tribes, and then the Judah was the southern tribe. 
<clears throat> the kingdoms of the kingdom of Israel, which was the northern tribes, uh, practiced idolatry, but did, so did many of the kings of Judah. And God sent prophets to both of them to admonish them, but they refused to change their ways. Instead, they would often torture and punish and even kill these prophets. In one example, in 661 BCE, the prophet Zechariah <clears throat> chastised the nation for their sins, and rather than accept his rebuke to heart, like we've talked about, they stoned Zechariah and in the very in the very temple that Solomon had built. <clears throat> and incredibly, this happened on Yom Kippur. Rather than allowing his blood to soak into the ground, there's a, a tradition that uh, the sages say that God caused it to continually bubble up as a reminder to the people of what they had done. In 555 BCE, Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians, and the kingdom of Israel basically came to an end. Scores of thousands of the conquered people were led into captivity, transported to distant lands, and other people brought in to settle uh, the kingdom. The kingdom of Judah miraculously survived the Assyrian threat and lasted for another 150 years. Some of the kings were, most of the kings were evil. Uh, a few were not. We remember King Hezekiah and King Josiah were not considered evil kings. But eventually the southern kingdom would fall to victim to the hands of the Babylonians. Beginning in 463 BCE, Jeremiah began to prophesy about the Babylonian threat and warn the Jews of this terrible devastation if they did not change their ways, if they did not stop worshiping idols and, and hating one another. But basically, his words went largely unheeded, as had every other prophet before him. About 18 years before the destruction of the temple, Jeremiah was imprisoned by King Jehoiakim because he just continued to pester him about negative prophecies. God then spoke to Jeremiah in the chapter, 36th chapter of Jeremiah. You can find this story. And he says to him, take for yourself a scroll. And Jeremiah basically writes the book of Lamentations, or Acha as we know it. He publicly, or he had his servant because he was in prison. Yay, we've got Hadass and Jenea. Yay. So we've got a good group here. Baruch ben Neriah, which was Jeremiah's servant or, or friend, he took the scroll uh, to the temple and publicly read it. When the king heard the scroll being read, he asked that it be read to him. And of course, he didn't like it. And so he grabs the scroll and throws it into the fire. When Jeremiah was informed of this, he set and composed another chapter uh, to add to this book, and that entire uh, writings has become the book of Acha, and this is what we will read. This is what Rabbi is teaching us, and what we'll read on the ninth of Av. In 434 BCE, Nebuchadnezzar marched on Judah. He pillaged Jerusalem and deported tens of thousands of Jews. Zedekiah who was uh, <clears throat> the leader of the southern tribe, tried to break free from the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar marched on Jerusalem again, and this time he would not be content with making Judah into a vassal state, 
but he began to destroy the city of Jerusalem. On the 10th of Tevet, 425 BCE, 30 months later, two and a half years later, in the month of Tammuz, after a long siege during which uh, he basically starved the people out, ravaged the city, the city walls were finally breached. King Zedekiah tried to escape. If, if you've ever been to, um, uh, to Jerusalem, you may have been through this tunnel. He tried to escape through an 18-mile-long tunnel. But he was captured and led in chains to Babylon. On the 7th of Av, Nebuchadnezzar began the destruction of Jerusalem. The walls were torn down. The palaces and other structures were burned. Um, Our sages say that when he entered the temple, though, the blood of Zechariah was still bubbling up. He then killed the members of the great Sanhedrin, and altogether he killed almost a million people. On the ninth of Av, toward the evening, the holy temple was set on fire and destroyed, and the fire burned for 24 hours. And thus ended the empire of David and Solomon. The magnificent city of Jerusalem and the holy temple were destroyed, and God punished his people for deserting him and his laws. So on the 17th of Tammuz, we remember when Nebuchadnezzar began to siege on Jerusalem. And on the 9th of Av, we remember when the temple was completely destroyed. So in our little book of Acha, it says that there are times of joy throughout the year and there are times of sadness. And these three weeks of mourning are basically a time of sadness. Um, they're also called Bain Hametzarim, and that actually means between the straits. This name is in reference to Lamentations 1 3, which says Judah has gone into captivity. Under affliction and hard servitude, she dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her uh, persecutors overtake her between the straits. Bain Hametzarim. During these three weeks, there are 21 days. There, that means there are 21 days and 21 nights, which is 42 periods. And they say that this corresponds to the 42 journeys of the Israelites in the desert. They also say um, that these 42 journeys represent major rectifications or steps on a spiritual journey that Israel must make before the Mashiach can return. There's a, a really good article from Chabad that actually details what these are. For example, it says that step one uh, is birth uh, or journey one, um, destination one. Destination two is called shelters, which is when uh, basically we or symbolically Israel is young and has parents to take care of us. Step three is called the seashore and Go back into the journeys, the 42 journeys of Israel, and look at the names of each of these places that they went to on their way uh, to Israel. Uh, step three is called seashore, and it's kind of a branching out. So when you begin to walk and you begin to be mobile, you begin to branch out. You don't always have to be carried by your parents. Step four is free 
free. You're able to make your own choices as you get to be able, as you get to be an older child and then a teenager, you can begin to make some of your own choices. Step five is crossing the sea or crossing over. And this is when we enter into adulthood. And there are um, all the way steps up to 42. And I will post a link to that article later on if you're interested in seeing what those 42 steps are. But during this three weeks of mourning, while we're remembering the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, it's another opportunity for us to take a spiritual accounting, as we're always doing in Musar anyway. And we are encouraged to take heart during this time to strengthen ourselves, to not allow ourselves to become too uh, melancholy, but are trapped into laziness because of our mourning, and certainly not to neglect service to Hashem during this time. Should be a time of increased Torah study and increased giving and certainly increased Teshuvah. And we, in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about what are the uh, current traditions, things that we should be doing. Yay, Sandra, a friend of mine is joining us, I think, for the first time today. Um, she and I had a, an interesting conversation earlier. I think y'all will appreciate that when she started this whole journey of Musar, she kept having a struggle with herself. Does, has anybody else had a struggle with yourself since you started Musar? Um, so anyway, in the coming weeks, we will look at what are the current traditions for observing these three weeks of mourning, as well as observing the day of the ninth of Av. And we'll look at some of the halakha and the customs uh, over the next couple of weeks. Okay, uh, we've talked about this being a long, hard summer, and last week we talked about, uh, if you remember our little saying, Mama, it's a lot harder than you think. So we're going to get into our text, which is a little bit hard because we're looking basically at sins. And that can be difficult and that can be a little almost oppressive at times, but um, it shouldn't be. It should be an opportunity for us to look at ourselves, check ourselves. And um, uh, another good little book that um, I refer back to occasionally and I, I don't know, I guess I like little bitty books. This little book is called, it's by actually by the Hofus Chaim. And it's called The Concise Book of, of uh, Mitzvot. And all it is is a list of the positive and the negative commandments. I've got too much glare here. But it's very concise. Uh, but if you're like, I don't know if I even remember what the 613 are, just kind of open this little book every once in a while and say, am I doing all of these things that I need to be doing? But that's also what we're doing this summer in our Sha'odere Teshuvah. Last week, as you remember, uh, Shauna says practicing Musar is like praying for patience. Oh, Shauna, my Musar trait this week is patience, so y'all pray for me. I don't know what the week's going to bring. Um, last week, we began Gate 3. And gate three is where he begins to delve into, almost in a very uh, lawyer-like words, into a lot of the various sins and levels of punishment. Last week we looked at uh, punishments and repercussions for not following, not listening to the words of the sages. And we had some really good discussions about some of that on Facebook, and hopefully some of y'all participated in that. 
Today, we're going to look at the second level of severity, which is um, mitzvah. It's mitzvah obligations and mitzvah prohibitions. So we're going to look at page 234 in our text. It's where we're going to start today. And he begins, the foundation of divine reward and the root of divine compensation, that is the primary reward that we receive from his shim, is for our service. And our service through, to him is through the fulfillment of mitzvah obligations. And when he uses the word obligations, this is positive commandments. When he uses the word prohibitions, these are the negative commandments. So keep that in mind today. That will help you. As it says in Proverbs 13, 13, one who fears a mitzvah, he will be rewarded. So if you look at a mitzvah and you have a little bit of fear, am I doing this correctly? Am I doing the best I can? That's a good thing. And you will be rewarded for that. He also quotes Malachi three eighteen. You will then see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves Hashem and the one who does not serve him. The one uh, the one who serves God will be rewarded and service of Hashem by definition is the performance of mitzvot, especially those that include positive commandment. However, he says that if there's a negative commandment that you feel a strong urge to do, I don't know, I'm sorry, I have to, I'll make a confession here today. I have tried to eat cleaner kosher for a little over 20 years but for some reason this week and you texas people will probably understand i'm having such a strong urge to go have one last water burger i grew up on water burger it was the best burger so if you have a really strong urge to do a negative commandment for those who are not in texas our dear water burger has been sold to someone in chicago it's a texas tradition for people that don't eat kosher um, but so if there's a negative commandment that you're feeling a strong urge to do, that can also be considered your service to Hashem by me refraining from going down and getting that one last water burger. That's a, that's my service to him for someone else who couldn't care less. It's not, but if there's something that you really want to do, and you're uh, overcoming the Yetzirah to do, and it's a negative commandment, that also can be considered uh, service to Hashem. Okay, on page 238, he looks at what are the punishments for violating mitzvah prohibitions. And again, we said the prohibitions are the negative commandments, the do-nots. And he gives us the possible um they have Whataburger in Arizona? I had no idea. Uh, sorry, a little side conversation with Hadassah and I. Rabbi Yona gives us the possible punishments for violating mitzvah prohibitions, the negative commandments, the do-nots. The various sinners are uh, treated differently in terms of their punishment uh, uh, depending on what their sin is. And so just like the commandments... Uh, are heavy to light so the punishment matches the the sin and matches the importance of the mitzvah and they can we've talked about in previous weeks that can be 40 lashes it could be death it could be karet which is cut off at the hands of heaven or it can be one of the four death penalties administered by a bait dean 
The specific rewards, however, for fulfilling mitzvah um, obligations are not necessarily spelled out in the Torah. That's because uh, that way we will not look through our Torah, find the mitzvah with the highest reward, and focus on that one and let the others go. There's a story in our book about a a master who had a field and he had all these... um, fruit trees and he wanted his servants to take care of them but he didn't tell his servants which ones were the uh, and I guess they got paid based on how much the tree yielded but he didn't tell them which one which trees were the best which ones were the worst so that his servants would treat every uh, tree the same and take care of all of them and not just focus on the tree with the most yield and so the the rewards for uh, keeping Torah um, positive commandments are not always spelled out so that we will do all of them. Um, the sages emphasize in Avodah Zerah, whoever occupies himself, it's said that Torah study is one of the highest forms of mitzvah with the highest, re- possibly the highest reward. And so they say in Avodah Zerah 17b, Whoever occupies himself only in Torah study, neglecting the performance of other mitzvah, is like one who has no God. You know, we've stu- we've talked before about it, a person who just studies just for intellectual purposes um, is not being obedient at all. He's not put on the yoke of heaven. And so they're saying that someone who just studies Torah, just that one mitzvah to get that one reward, and doesn't do any of the mitzvah is like someone who doesn't even have a God. Um, He gives us an example of a seemingly minor mitzvah. And this one will probably come to your mind quickly. It's in Deuteronomy 22, 6 through 7, and it's regarding letting the mother bird go before you take the young for yourself. And I never really understood this commandment until I got chickens and now I completely understand uh, taking the chickens get so upset if you try to take their eggs or mess with their babies and so it's certainly a very compassionate thing to leave the mother alone with her babies he goes on to say that it may go well with you and that you may prolong your days so this is one of the few Torah mitzvot positive commandments that actually has uh, a reward attached to it. And it's a pretty big reward for what seems like a very minor mitzvah. But if this is the reward for a minor mitzvah, we can only guess at what the rewards are and will be for doing the greater mitzvah. Okay, on page 242 uh, in our text, Let's look at the punishments for violating mitzvah obligations. Now, mitzvah obligations are the positive commandments. Rabbi Yonah now discusses the punishment one may receive for neglecting mitzvah obligations, positive commandments. Our sages state in Chulin 132b that if a Beit Din exhorts a person to, um, to stay in a sukkah or to take up a lulav and he does not do it they strike him until the spirit leaves him or he becomes weak oh yay rebecine is with us i hope you're having a great trip and are safe uh so they they kind of 
beat him until he comes to his senses uh, and says, oh, I need to be doing this. So that's one of the punishments. Our sages further state in Rosh Hashanah 17a that those people who have never done tefillin, not because they don't know, but out of a disdain for the mitzvah, upon their, uh, and they've never put on tefillin, they are called transgressors of Israel. They sin through their very bodies, and their punishment is even greater than that of one who sins even by the sins that are punishable by karet, or capital punishment. Then there's even another level of sinner, and that's called the transgressors of the world. So the, the ones who refuse to don tefillin because they disdain the mitzvah are called transgressors of Israel. These people are called transgressors of the world, such as those that have illicit relations uh, and others. They say that they will descend to Gehenna for 12 months, be punished, but after the 12 months, their bodies will be consumed and their souls burned and a wind will scatter their ashes under the soles of the feet of the righteous. That may sound harsh. And do we are the sages just trying to scare us? But actually, in Malachi 3.21, it says that. And you will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Wow. That, that should scare us for certain. So we do not want to be transgressors of the world. And we'll talk a little bit later about uh, who that is. On page 245, fulfillment of mitzvah obligations. Uh, this, he says, we've talked before about the importance of fear of heaven or fear of Hashem. That that is one of the highest things that we can attain to is a great fear of and awe of Hashem. And he says that the fulfillment of positive commandments is considered an expression of our fear of heaven. This is how we can express our fear of heaven is through the positive commandments. Um, in Vayikra 19.32, it says, You shall rise in the presence of an elderly person and honor the presence of a sage, and you shall fear Hashem your God. We can infer from this that one who does not occupy himself with doing good and seeking peace has violated the requirements of fear of heaven. And those who do not fear God, those who do not fear heaven, are called wicked. And we know from Malachi that the wicked, the transgressors of the world, are uh, subject to great punishment. In Kohelet 8.13, it says, But for the wicked, it will not be well, and he will not live long, like a fleeting shadow, because he does not fear God. And unfortunately, I have known, and I'm pretty sure you probably have known, people that will uh, use the Lord's name or will do other horrible murders or whatever, and if it's ever brought to their attention, don't you fear God? They say no. They do not. And that is the pure definition of wicked. Um, on page 246, he brings to mind some often neglected important positive commandments. And he lists a few of these. Uh, and the first one I 
kind of debate whether it's a positive or a negative one, but mentioning God's name in vain and without a purpose. Uh, this is one that unfortunately in our society today is often neglected, hopefully by none of us, but by the world in general, it's not, it, it's not even considered uh, to be anything to be avoided n- any longer. The next one that he says that we often neglect, that's often neglected in our world, is acts of kindness. Acts of kindness are considered even more of a mitzvah than giving charity because charity is only given to the poor, while acts of kindness are given to everyone. As the sages state in A Vote 1-2, the world depends upon three things, study of Torah, service of Hashem, and acts of kindness. And while charity can only be performed really with money, acts of kindness can be performed <clears throat> with money, our time, or many other things. There's many ways to do acts of kindness. On page 248, he talks, and I really like this. This was very interesting to me. He talks about going beyond the letter of the law. He gives us an example of an important mitzvah. Is it, it is a mitzvah for a person to conduct himself beyond the letter of the law. Uh, this is derived actually from Deuteronomy 6.18. It says, you shall do what is fair and good in the eyes of Hashem. And he says that this requires us to go beyond the letter of the law and to actually act in the spirit of the law because... The Torah cannot and does not detail every single incident or scenario that could come up. And so we are to take the laws that are explicit and deduce from that a general approach to our fellow man that will properly guide us in all of our interactions. And that actually comes from Ramban. So we are to go beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. On page 249, he now talks about failing to obey positive commandments. And he wants to cover and clear up a misconception that he thinks some people have. He said that some are under the misconception that ruin to one's soul only comes for failing to obey a negative commandment. The do nots. As long as I avoid the do nots. As long as I stay away from murder, as long as I stay away from um, working on the Shabbat, as long as I stay away from coveting, then as long as I avoid the do-nots, I'm okay. But he says that, and he gives the example, that they think they are okay, um, that they don't have to observe the Shabbat as long as they don't eat pork. They don't have to remember the Shabbat as long as they don't eat pork. And he says some have avoided... uh, uh, they, uh, they have avoided the negative commandments, but have failed completely in doing the positive commandments. And he clarifies to us that this is a misconception and this thinking is wrong. He quotes from the sages uh, at a, from a verse that we've looked at before, Yerushalami Hayiga 1.7. The Holy One temporarily overlooked the sins of idolatry, illicit relations, and murder, but did not overlook the sin of neglecting Torah study. The sages go on to say, just as the reward for Torah study is greater than the reward for all other mitzvot, so is the punishment for neglecting Torah study greater than all other sins. So just, we can't get by by just avoiding the do-nots.
Sanhedrin 99a regarding Numbers 1531 reads, For he has scorned the word of Hashem and violated his commandment, and that person will surely be cut off, Karat, his sin is upon him. This is regarding the one who was able to study Torah but fails purposely to do so. On page 250 in our text, he uh, goes into a specific mitzvah of chesed. And back in our holiness book, we spent a, a quite a, a lot of time talking about chesed. But he reminds us of the story of Sodom, Bereshit 13. The people were, were guilty of many sins. They were guilty of theft, extortion, corruption, um, and immorality. Yet, why were they really destroyed? They were not destroyed for these sins. They were destroyed for the uh, neglect of charity. They neglected the practice of charity. And this was the final straw that caused the destruction of Sodom. Ezekiel 16.49 clarifies Behold, this was the sin of Sodom, your sister. She and her daughter had pride, abundance of bread, and peaceful serenity, but she did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. The very definition of chesed. She had plenty of bread and peace, but she didn't give any uh, to the needy. You know, this reminds us back when we were studying chesed that we also looked at the words of Yeshua in Matthew 25. If you read this passage or remember our study, this is where he's separating the goats on one side and the sheep on one side. And we looked at what was the determining factor, whether uh, it was a sheep or a goat. And he said it was whether they fed the hungry, clothed the naked, or visited the sick. Again, the very definition of chesed. So a very, very important mitzvah is chesed. And failure, uh, um, he goes on to talk about failure to fulfill the mitzvah of the fear of Hashem. We talked earlier today about the fear of Hashem being one of the highest uh, mitzvah that we can attain to. For those failing to fear Hashem, Rabbi Yonah gives us Isaiah 29, 13 through 34. Their fear of me as men commanded by them by rote. Therefore, behold, I will continue to perform more wonders against this people, wonder upon wonder. Now, what does he mean by rote? Um, They're only fearing God because their teachers told them they should, not because they have true fear of Hashem. And because this, um, they don't have true fear of Hashem. So in Jeremiah 12, 1 through 2, he, uh, the person asks, why? Does the way of the wicked prosper? You are close to their mouths, but distance from their thoughts. So this person is performing some form of mitzvah with their actions, but their heart is far from Hashem. And next week, uh, we're going to look, our whole week next week, we'll be looking at mitzvah that deal strictly with things that are from the heart. Things that don't have an outward action, but things that are only from the heart. And that's going to be a great week. So I hope you come back for that one. These individuals are far from Hashem, it says. Psalm 73, 27 says of these people, For behold, these removed from you, because they're far from Hashem, what will happen to them? It says, You shall perish. 
So that's the that's the punishment for failing to fulfill the fear of Hashem. On page 252, he talks about uh, the severity of the punishment depends upon the importance of the mitzvah, um, that there's a proper punishment, a weighted punishment, depending on the weight of the mitzvah. Uh, One who neglects a very important mitzvah has a higher punishment than one that neglects a very, um, what we might call light mitzvah. Um, He gives the example of the Pesach offering and the Brit Malah because these are such critical mitzvah that the punishment for them um, is being cut off. One of the most severe punishments. On page 256, he talks about, again, he returns to the topic of service of Hashem. Again, he says the service of Hashem, when we consider have we served Hashem, this is through the positive commandments. But in this section, he talks about something that will be near and dear to the heart of us, Musar students, he says, if you want to attain certain lofty spiritual values or character traits, these are imparted through the positive commandments. Um, So as you're studying Musar, be sure and study the positive commandments. For example, and he gives us several examples. He says, the virtue of choosing good over evil comes from Deuteronomy 30, 19. And you shall choose life. The virtue of Torah study comes from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7, where it says, and you shall speak of them. Um, And it goes on when you wake up and when you go to sleep. The virtue of following in the ways of Hashem comes from Deuteronomy 28, 9. And you shall go in his ways. The virtue of having trust in Hashem, a big Musar character trait, comes from Deuteronomy 18.13. You shall be wholehearted with Hashem, your God. And he goes on and and gives many more examples, and I encourage you to read those uh, starting on page 253 through 256. He gives many examples of, of attaining lofty spiritual values through the positive commandments. Now then, let's turn to a little bit different perspective and look at what about others we're always looking at ourselves what about our performance are we doing what we should be doing well what about if other people aren't and he tells us and this is difficult and i would love to hear your thoughts on this on our facebook group this week it is an obligation for a faithful ambassador which we are Hashem's ambassadors, in all aspects of the service of the master, a faithful worker does his own job with alacrity and enthusiasm and skill, but he also oversees the work of his fellow workers as well. His eyes are on their ways to see if they are performing faithfully as well. If they aren't, what is he to do? First of all, he is to warn them. And then he's to inform them regarding the actions that they are required to do. And he quotes the sages from Vaikra uh, Rabbah 25.1. A person who studied Torah and reviewed his learning 
taught others, and fulfilled the Torah, yet he has the ability and resources to support others who are engaged in Torah and mitzvot, but does not support them. He is included in what the verse says, Cursed be he who will not uphold the words of the Torah. So it wasn't enough that he, this person just studied the Torah for his own sake and do it well himself, but that he was to teach others to do the Torah. I would love that, because this seems very difficult tightrope to walk. Um, how can we warn others and inform others without um, creating a lot of conflict and hard feelings? I would love to hear your thoughts on this this week. Okay, on page 257, Rabbi Yonah uh again, reminds us of uh, several mitzvah obligations, positive commandments that we often forget. He lists among these, uh, and the one he specifically focuses on here, he considers a very important mitzvah, and maybe you've not even considered this, but it comes from Shemot 21. We are not to litigate our court matters in the courts of the idolaters. Now, that can be very difficult for us here in the diaspora, here in the United States. Because um, what else? We don't have a lot of other uh, recourses. Um, but he says this is a very serious commandment. Uh, and the sages expound on this in Gatin 88b. Legal matters are to be brought before a Jewish bait dean and not before a court of idolaters. Uh, so again, that's going to be something that's going to be very difficult. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well this week. On page 258, another one that he brings up, and this is another one that we could spend a great amount of time discussing, um, showing reverence for father and mother. I know one of our dear HCOs is on her way to see her father and is asking for prayer because it may not be the easiest of situations. And sometimes it can not be the easiest thing to honor our parents um, in, in certain difficult situations. But Devereen 2716 says, Cursed is one who degrades his father or mother. And he goes on to give a little bit of clarification about what does degrade mean? And he says, not sitting in the father's place. Now, I don't know. And um, Laser Lugo loves to come over to our house often, but Mr. Menege has his chair. And rarely, unless he's feeling really brave, will Laser sit in um, Mr. Menege's chair. So that's one way that we can show honor to our parents is not not being in their place. They have their place and we have our place and we are not to take over their place. Contradicting their words. That can be another one that's very hard to do when we know they're saying something that isn't right. Here's another one. Not offering an opinion in a halakhic debate if the father is already involved. And uh, this might also include... Um, our rabbi, if he has given a, he's often uh, giving his halakhic opinions on our Ask the Rabbi page. And I think there are times that we have to be careful that we don't step into his place 
and enter into a debate in which uh, our spiritual, uh, almost our spiritual father is being, uh, is giving his opinion. We should allow him to give his opinion and we should defer to that. But these are uh, ways that you can show uh, reverence for your, for your also your earthly parents here. He reminds us finally on page 259, a few more that he wants us to not forget. Important positive mitzvot. He reminds us of tefillin. He reminds us of the mezuzah, which he says these two particularly are important uh, as we accept upon the yoke of heaven or the sovereignty of Hashem. And that one who breaks these purposefully is in effect breaking the yoke of heaven off, which is a, that in itself is a serious offense. And another one he lists is zitzit. And he quotes the sages on, of course, Bamid Bar 1540. And he says that zitzit have the power to increase the wearer's holiness so that you may remember and perform all my commandments and be holy to your God. So some of the important mitzvahs that he wants us to not neglect. You know, we he taught us a few weeks ago that we should consider even the lightest mitzvot um, as weighty. And so he, re- he returns to this topic uh, on page uh, 261. He has listed many mitzvah obligations that are weighty that he considers very, very important. But he wants to remind us that in truth, there really is no mitzvah obligation that is not weighty. He says, rather than remembering uh, the heaviness or the lightness of the commandment, we need to remember um, the greatness of the one who commanded them. And in that view, that perspective, they are all weighty. He says that, know that the one who fears the word of Hashem will be stringent and conscientious, placing his life in his hands for the fulfillment of a minor mitzvah, just as for the fulfillment of a major mitzvah. So a truly righteous person will perform a minor mitzvah just as conscientiously as they would a major mitzvah. Whether it's the rising in the presence of an older person, revering one's parents, or observing the Shabbat, these commandments are all followed by these words. It is I, Hashem, who commands you these. And that's what we should remember. Okay, Um, as we wrap up today, let's just go back and review what we've learned. I hope that you are not feeling like that you're in a law class getting your law degree, but that these really have some true and serious application for our lives. Uh, Today we looked at what Rabbi Yonah calls the second level of severity, which is failing a positive or a negative mitzvah. And we looked at these in depth. Um, We learned that... uh, Serving Hashem, the uh, the definition of service of Hashem is through the positive commandments. But we also learn that avoiding certain negative commandments, especially if they have a strong, if you have a strong urge to do them, can be also considered service for Hashem. Today, we also looked at punishments for violating various mitzvah prohibitions, including lashes, karet, death, the death penalty, and uh. 
Also for violating certain mitzvah obligations, which could include striking until the person basically comes to their senses. We also looked at the punishment for those called transgressors of the world, which uh, is the terrible punishment of 12 months in Gehenna, and then they're consumed and their souls are burned. And again, we may be disturbed by this thought, but if we look at, look at the words of Yeshua in Matthew thirteen fifty, he kind of supports this idea. It will be this way at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he gives us a glimpse into their punishment of the wicked as well. Today we also studied the fulfillment of positive mitzvah as an expression of the fear of Hashem and that this is our highest thing that we should attain to. And those who do not fear Hashem are called the wicked. Uh, those that have no regard for the mitzvah or for, it, for even Hashem's greatness and possible punishment, they have no regard at all. These are the true wicked. He also covered and reminded us of a number of neglected and often ignored mitzvahs, including uh, honoring Hashem's name, not taking it in vain. And he taught that uh, we should go beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law because the Torah does not cover every possible situation that could happen. Uh, he clarified the misconception that we're okay if we just avoid the do-nots, but that rather the we also have to take the initiative to perform the positive commandments as well. He talked about the city of Saddam and how their great sin was failing the practice of chesed. And so we're also we're reminded of Yeshua's words in Matthew 25 as he separated the sheep and the goats and his words regarding uh, chesed. Rabbi Yonah also covered the mitzvah of the fear of Hashem and he covered that the severity of the punishments um, depends on the severity of the mitzvah. He also taught us today that if we want to attain certain spiritual values, as all of us Musar students are constantly striving to do, that this is through uh, the positive commandments. These positive commandments will help us to develop the spiritual virtues that we need and want in our lives. And he gave us several examples that I encourage you to go back and read those. And then he turns to the uh, idea of the performance of others and our responsibility to them, our responsibility to warn and inform. He lists several severe mitzvot that he considers severe that are often ignored, including the one that he specifically brought up, which was not to litigate in the courts of the idolaters. He discussed showing reverence for father and mother. Uh, he, re he reminded us of tefillin, mezuzah, and tzitzit. And he reminded us finally that all mitzvot are truly weighty, even the ones that we might consider not as severe. Well, do you feel like you're ready to take your bar exam on the Torah laws? Hopefully you're sticking with it. And, f you know, we said a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> that each week, if you only, if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed or that it's too dry, 
Find one thing that you can hold on to for the week. Write it down in your Musar journal and say, this is the thing I learned this week that I want to take away from this. And so, and hopefully you've gotten a lot of things from Rabbi Yonah's study this week, but if not, just grab you onto one thing. Okay, we can't end today without a little me don't review. Hopefully you're keeping up with your Musar journaling and that you're each working on your own specific uh, curriculum. Like I said, mine this week is patience. And I I, um, I know it's probably going to be an interesting week because Shim likes to bring interesting tests during uh, to help us grow. It's to help us grow, right? So let's look at the one, since he brought it up, let's look at the one, you know, he talked today about honoring father and mother. So let's talk about the mito of honoring others. In our Everyday Holiness book on the chapter on honor, he begins by asking us an interesting question. Have you ever felt like when you were in a group that you were given a notebook and you were assigned the task of evaluating every single person in the room. Why did she wear that dress? Why is he dressed like that? Why is he sitting in that seat? On and on and on we go. And we just feel like we've been assigned that job. And we'll talk a little bit about why we do that. But he goes on to discuss that honor is due every single person, even a dead body. And we've talked uh, a lot about the honor due a dead body. Um, And if we are to honor a dead body, how much more should we honor the living? Uh, We've been discussing, discussing at length the destruction of the temple, and the sages tell us that the destruction of the second temple was because of baseless hate that existed among people at the time. And refusing to honor one another is a great, or bad, as, as you want to see it, it's a big basis of hate. You know, for some of us, it's easier to be critical and harsh rather than to show honor Uh, But honor, respect, and dignity are due to everyone not because of how good they are or the achievements they may have obtained, but because they are home to a soul that is inherently holy. And we should honor each other simply because we are the handiwork of Hashem. You are the handiwork of Hashem. And we should honor each other if for no other reason than for that very purpose. So why do we find it hard to show honor? Some may find it that we feel anxious in a group because we don't feel like we stack up to everyone else. So if we can knock some points off of everyone else, it kind of makes us feel better. It makes us feel more like we're equal to everybody else. Or we may not feel like honoring others because we don't feel like we've received honor. So why should we give honor? And, uh, you know, but first it starts with honoring ourselves. We have to have a certain, all of the mitzvot require a certain level of self-honor to even begin to have the courage to, to take this journey. On the other hand, we learn that honor is one of those things that can be quite elusive if you're seeking it for yourself. And you may remember that we told the stories, famous story of the long spoons. And if you've not heard it, I'll try to tell it very quickly. 
a man uh, died, and he was met by whoever uh, angel meets him and says, uh, you have a choice between heaven and hell, or however you see that. And he says, well, what's the difference? He said, well, let me show you the difference. So first he takes him to hell. Uh, they get on the elevator and they go down. When the doors open, there's a big banquet hall and there's food all on the table. Big pots of food, but the people are starving. Why are they starving? They each have a spoon, but the spoon has a handle that is very long. And when they dip the spoon into the food, it, the spoon is too long to reach their mouth. And they're starving. So he says, let me show you heaven. So he takes him on the elevator up to wherever heaven might be. And the doors open. It's the same kind of banquet table. The same huge pots of food. Same people sitting around, but they're all full and satisfied. They have the same long spoons. So what's the difference? The difference is that they are dipping the spoon in the pot and reaching across the table and feeding the person across from them, and that person is doing likewise to them. And honor is like that. Ben Zoma says that who is worthy of honor? And he answers his own question by saying, the one who treats others with honor. And the sages caution, those who endeavor to gain, to gain honor at the price of another person being degraded has no portion in the world to come. So we merit honor by giving honor. And we are taught anyway to judge everyone positively. And our Everyday Holiness book gave us a very good, very simple way to begin this week, today, tomorrow, to begin to show honor to others. And this you can do everywhere you go. Greet everyone first. Don't wait for someone else to greet you. You greet them with a smile and a how are you. And when we do this, we are showing honor to that person in a very concrete way. And you, you, can't, you don't even know what that small act may do for that person's day. When we are the first to honor another, it has to come from a place of humility. And for this, others will honor us too. Every human we meet is a holy soul created in the image of Hashem and deserves our honor. So take a few minutes this week and go out and greet everyone. Well, we've gone a little bit over time today, but I thank you for being here. And I'd love to hear this week what me, Dote, you are working on. I told you mine's patience. But, you know, we are scaling up that mountain. We've scaled it up through the counting of... Uh, the Omer, now we're still scaling up that mountain to Yom Kippur and even beyond to the Alam Haba. And I encourage you, if you slide down a little bit, get back up and just keep scaling that mountain and we will get there. Have a great week and I hope to see you back next week.